Voices, and the Oscar doesn't go to. I'm Sam Meltzer, and on this podcast, myself and a guest will be discussing the films that received Best Picture nominations, yet didn't take home any trophies on Oscar night. Today, I'm going to be joined by Owen Daly. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Today, we're going to be discussing the 2009 film An Education, directed by Lone Scherfig, which got three nominations. So what about this film struck you? Why did you choose this one out of all the films on the list? Um, I think because it, it had been a while, honestly, since I'd seen it. And obviously after the past year with Carrie finally getting um, her second nomination to this, I was excited to return to it and see what made everyone and myself uh, fall in love with her when this film first came out over 10 years ago. So you were interested in Carrie and her big breakout role because this was her first time getting a major leading part. She had appeared in smaller roles like Pride and Prejudice and Public Enemies, but she didn't have major parts in that. And this was the first time that they gave her a substantial performance and she really knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Yes. So in terms of the story, I think that the way this film opens is really well done. You have this montage and the, the title credits, the opening title credits is incredible. This animated drawing style of school related designs and it's this visually attractive scene and you have this catchy song and it's very energetic and then you get this high school montage and it sort of puts you in the mood of the setting really well right before it establishes Carrie Mulligan's character, Jenny. So what were your thoughts on the way this film established its atmosphere and its setting? Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that the opening didn't include Ed Jenny in it and how we were still able to like fully be invested watching some characters who we'd get to know, but not fully getting to know Jenny in the first opening uh, title cards. And I think it just showed how, um, in control the director was and um, Lone was in charge in control of the film from the very beginning so I think it was a really effective way to open the film and something I, I honestly hadn't remembered until I watched it again. Because mm-hmm. it isn't a film that's perpetually exciting it's not extremely dramatic in its tone there's no melodrama so she opens it up really nicely because it isn't shoving in your face a grand score. It's just this simple catchy tune and you get this kind of fun montage of what this English high school is. And then when Jenny is introduced, you understand her motive and her situation very quickly because she has a strict father who's played by Alfred Molina who doesn't really let her do much outside of studying and working. So you know, you realize that her life, she's kind of trapped, but she doesn't seem miserable because she does find ways to, you know, please herself and find self-pleasure and activities to do outside of school. But her father is very against a lot of that because he is really wanting her to go to Oxford and get all A's. So, you know, I want to know your thoughts on how they initially developed her family and what her situation was like at school with her friends and the boyfriend and all that. Yeah, I I definitely think from the very beginning, there's a very strong sense that there's so much of a great ensemble outside of Carrie even. And I think when most people think about this movie, all they think about is Carrie 
and her work but when you watch it it's just like there's so many wonderful performers there I mean even someone like Cara Seymour playing her mother gets barely anything to do but whenever the film decides to give her the littlest of moments she's really effective and it really kind of creates a more real and lived world and I really enjoyed that there was just so much to devour and I can see why it's based on a novel and um, because you, you very much get the sense that every character is well developed and you really kind of understand them even if they don't give them the full space that they give to someone like Jenny. Yes, I, I agree with you there. I think that Lone sort of introduces the family dynamic in a way that you said there's a lot to devour, but it isn't complex or tedious. There isn't a lot of character movement going on. So you do know what's happening. It's easy to connect with and even relate to at times. So she she understands that she doesn't she doesn't give her any siblings. She doesn't give her that many friends. You know, she has a nice little group at school, but it isn't like there's so much drama happening with people her own age. So she's placed into this family. And I think he said that it was based on a novel. You can tell, yes, she can. I don't know if I haven't read the novel yet, but I'm sure she clearly likes it a lot because she's introducing the characters in a bright and lively way rather than introducing them in a depressing light because the themes of the story and certain plot points do have this lesson of morality that can be tragic. But at the same time, the ending and the way that the story plays out and especially the opening, it's, it's bright and it's happy and it's cheery because she's kind of a kid and she's just kind of getting into adulthood and learning about what an education means to her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from the very beginning, I feel like it does, it feels like a film of the period that it's made and that it's set in. Like it really feels like a mid sixties British film. I mean, the opening suggests that as well, where it's very much things are constantly happening. And I think it's just, alone and in collaboration with Nick Hornby, who himself is an author, just really set up a very well-rounded world in the first like 10 minutes of the film. And it really um, sets the stage for what will happen. Obviously, as you say, not the most melodramatic way, but it really sets you for a film that you want to watch. Mm, yeah, it does it subtly and sort of interestingly and makes it easy for the audience to grasp a sense of emotion. So the way that the story sort of kicks in is when it really starts to thicken is when on her way home and it's raining on her way home from school one day, she's carrying her cello and she's getting all wet. And this man in a car stops right next to her and offers her a ride. And at first they're sort of playing around and it's a bit hesitant and you know, she, she has fears because she's sort of been with her parents her whole life and hasn't really gone out and done much, but he offers her to go see a cello concert after, you know, driving her home. And then basically that's when the storyline develops because he's the drive of it. He's the reason why her life sort of diverges. Yeah, I mean, Peter Sarsgaard, an actor who I have always enjoyed and feel like he never gets enough credit for what he does because he he plays everything so subtle that unlike, unlike he's not going for big high dram dramatics 
And that's why I feel he's underrated. And I think in this film, and Lone and everyone just uses him to the best way that he can be used, which is a very chill kind of, or yeah, kind of chill in how he approaches everything. And um, it really, it, it does set um, the uh, things in motion. And I think Carrie and Peter just are really good together. I mean, even from when um, she was announced, I think at the Oscars, he presented some little tribute to her and finding out that they'd worked together prior to the movie, you can kind of see that they had an established kind of chemistry and how they work. And I think it's used quite effectively in the film. Yeah, I agree. I recently saw Jackie and he kind of does a similar thing. He has a obviously much smaller role in that one, but here he's restrained and subtle with his performance, but at the same time, very layered because at first you do really like this character and the way he sort of convinces Jenny's parents and loosens them up because they're uptight about her going out and her sort of experiencing adulthood and he's introducing her to this world and he finds a way to get around it to her parents. But then obviously there's the scene where they're in the hotel room and he asks her to show him her naked and he's sort of sexually assaulting her. But at the same time, his performance is still quiet in the scene and that's kind of what makes it more haunting because this is a character that she clearly likes and has clearly formed a connection with but he's taking it a step far and it's uncomfortable because if he was very loud and he was screaming at her then it would be very blatant and obvious what the film is trying to do but in this scene it, he's super quiet and he's just kind of this demonizing look of an adult who wants to be young again or wants to see something young again and you get a really good sense of what his performance is doing here and how he nails the delivery and the whole situation yeah i think i think not many actors um would be capable of playing david and i think that peter was just the perfect choice i mean even though he is i think he's an american actor um and you you can't sense that at all you just think he's a normal British person and I think that also works in his favor in how surprising of a performance that it is from him to be believably play this play this role yeah I agree with you I think he's very consistent throughout I don't think you see him I think you see him develop but I think in a different light because at the end of the film she decides that she's rather more interested in college and focusing on her study, something that she's been working for because she understands the negatives of adulthood and what bringing to this world is gonna to do to her, even if she's just introduced to it and it's one person and one sort of series of events. But yeah, I happen to agree with you. I think he's a very good match with her. I think they have very good chemistry. There are a lot of films of this vein that don't feature a good chemistry that because the age gap is there sometimes that can be a fault but the age gap doesn't ruin the quality of their relationship i also think you know his performance when i talk about him being haunting despite being quiet it kind of reminded me of meryl streep in the devil wears prada because even though that's a much more comedically oriented performance she doesn't have to scream to be haunting and hilarious yeah i'm i mean i'm 
I'd have to think about it, I think, to compare those two performances. But I think Oh no, very different characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think I think I, I understand what you mean when you talk about um the haunting nature of him. I think he's just constantly surprising you as an audience member. I think the character is himself surprising you, whether it's a quick glance, um, whether it's a quick emotional change when he realizes, I think in the dinner in the first going out with Helen and um Dominic Cooper, I can't remember his name. Um, in the first scene when they're out together, you can see him noticing how Jenny is just really enjoying herself and how he might not be on a similar level in some instances to him. But I think that kind of clues you in to what is later revealed about him. And I think um, Peter's just really, really good in this role. Yeah, he's there for Jenny and she's having the time of her life. I remember she got home that night and she said that was the best night I've ever had, kind of the only night she's really had. And he's, I don't know if I'm gonna say taking advantage of her because that seems very harsh, especially in the first part, but he's introducing her to an entirely new world and is really realizing that, you know, he can do a lot of things with her and she'll be into it because she doesn't know any better and she doesn't live the same life that he does because that's his entire life. and him going out with Helen and played by Rosamund Pike. And I think that um, Danny or Dave Danny played by Dominic Cooper, that's sort of his whole life. And he's introducing it to a new person, but she doesn't always know what his motive is. And that's the haunting part. Yeah, definitely. I think the film, the film gives him room to perform, but also doesn't give him all the room just because in the end, while we're following his stories, we're mainly following Jenny's journey throughout, and it's completely from her point of view. Um, and I think um, the fact that he can be so effective while through the eyes of, of Jenny just is another compliment towards uh, Peter and the role. Yeah, I think that the way, I have to agree with you, I think that the way Nick Hornby writes this from her perspective rather than his, I think he does feminism really well. Even though this film, I, I, it's hard to find movies from this decade specifically that are gracious about femininity, but this one does it really well because it isn't preachy with its message. She isn't constantly saying, oh, I'm an independent woman. Like I need to be this way. I need to stand up for my rights. No, she's subtle and she's restrained and she's this emotional teenager who's, you know, wants to go to Oxford and has strict parents but she still resembles a very feminine character because of the way that her arc develops and how this whole situation leads her into growing up and becoming a more mature human being and a more mature woman. And at the end, she has really formed from a kid to a woman. So I think it's sort of this beautiful arc that she forms herself into, even if the process was rough yeah, I think I, I I agree with your thoughts on Hornby's work. I mean, it's even um, backed up by two following films, which he'd write, which are very much about female experiences uh, with Brooklyn and Wilde. I think he just um, really understands the characters that he's writing about and really pays attention to what they're going through. And I think with Jenny, it's just um, 
a really relatable story to watch um, play out in front of you, whether it's the growing up and learning or even just the past tragedy moving on and trying to continue on. I think it's it's just really enjoyable um, film to experience. Yeah, it is kind of fun at times. It's certainly not a comedy, but it does have comic elements and more lighthearted moments. And going back to what you said about Nick Hornby, I like the way he writes this film and also um, Wild. And what was the other one you said? Uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, and Brooklyn, because he doesn't write the characters to provide a social message. He writes the characters to have emotional impact and a personality, but they also happen to have social messages, but that wasn't his primary intent. So he does a really beautiful job at developing the characters through their own motives and through their inherent mental states rather than anything else. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. I think you um, made that point very well. <laughs> so I, I can't really say anything else about what you just said. Yes. So yeah, do you wanna get into Carrie? Because I think, you know, she's a very dynamic actress who has a lot of range. And given that this was the first time she was really able to play with a part. I think she absolutely nails every emotional beat and line of dialogue throughout the film. Yeah, I think um, she's asked to play a lot, even though it may not seem on the surface that she is, but how she um, confidently moves throughout this entire film is just really impressive to watch. I mean, how she acts opposite legends like Emma Thompson and Olivia Williams um, as her teachers or during against male characters it's just really impressive to see how she performs so well with each one in such different ways and it's it's just the fact that this was as you say her breakout it seems as if she'd been acting in lead roles for a couple of years prior to this I mean I'm thankful that 10 years later um, her breakout has only produced much more great work and that it wasn't some sort of flash in the pan. But I think she shows why she's considered one of the greats of her generation with this film, especially. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with everything you said. She really sort of gives this tour de force performance, but not in a loud, flashy way. She does have her moments where she's crying, but one thing I noticed about the way she cries is she does it very easily. A lot of actresses and actors sort of talk and emote a lot before they shed a tear, but she can do it on the spot. Same thing, I noticed the same thing with Olivia Coleman. They can cry really naturally in a way that a lot of actors seem more forceful about it. And Carrie Mulligan is able to emote beautifully and have this really raw and natural sense throughout the film because she's playing someone who's young and even though she was a little older in real life this probably relates to her in some light because she had just come from school I suppose and was just getting into acting and was a very young person when it came out so it's clearly a story and a character that's personal to her but she just provides and entertains and engages you throughout the entire film and emotionally competent ways yeah absolutely i think the as you mentioned the very quick way she can turn the on her emotions just really emphasizes how brilliantly she plays 
while a younger character, how she plays it effectively. I mean, when you're young, you're not constantly, well, I guess you're constantly thinking through your emotions, but you're very, like in real life, you're very much emotionally changing without thinking about it. And I think she really gets across the age of the character and really well in her work. And I think it's just, I just enjoy that. Um, what am I trying to say? I, I just enjoy uh, taking in her work and seeing it carry through for the past decade that we've had the beats she goes through in this film. She's really shown how effective she can deliver those in any kind of role. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a performance that she's giving throughout that's super, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's ambiguous. I don't think she's trying to make you look for anything. She's not necessarily stating the obvious all the time. She does have an X component to her performance, but she's very much driven by what the world around her is doing to her. So everything that she sees is just how her environment is reacting to her. So the way that she emotes and the way that she talks and the way that she cries and even the way that she giggles is supernatural and very, I don't, I don't know the word, but it's obvious, but in a good way. She isn't, it's not a performance that you really analyze and study because she's doing a lot on the spot, but not in a way that's loud and in your face. Yeah, I think what helps her performance so well is how well it's shown by the director. I mean, the camera just loves watching her throughout the movie. I mean, whether it's um, delivering a giggle or delivering just a brokenhearted look later on in the film, I think just the collaboration between Carrie and her director is just really effective. And I think Carrie is served best when the directors sort of fall in love with her. Which, which, which is most directors, but I think in this collaboration, you can see how well um, the star and the director are working with each other. Yeah, totally. I noticed that in also Wildlife and Promising Young Woman, which we can get into later on her career, but specifically the way she responds to her atmosphere is super interesting because most actors are trying to devour the screen and tear it up and trying to impress you, but she isn't even trying to impress you. She's just trying to go along with the flow and, you know, pay tribute to the story by making her performance as realistic as possible. And I really appreciate that, the turn she took with it. Yeah, I, I think um, she really does play effectively in whatever ever movie she's in. And I think that's why it took so long for her to get nominated past this movie is because many people had probably made the impression that this was the role she was going to play for the next decade and she quickly didn't do that. But I think that's why she's such an effective actress is because she constantly is changing in whatever movie she's in. And even, I think, I think that's, I, that's my reasoning. I think why it took so long is because people were unwilling to accept her in anything else other than this star is born ingenue role that she quickly didn't want to take on for the next couple of years. Yeah, 100%. But, and also I think a lot of the movies that she made after this before Promising a Woman were much more small. They didn't really have a, as much Oscar buzz. She wasn't trying to 
put herself out there as much as she, you know, she really loved acting and she really loved playing all these different characters. And I don't know, she just seems like a really nice person to be around because she clearly takes on so many challenges, but is able to make it all look so easy on camera, which is so impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think that's clear from the fact that over the past decade, and even from the very start, she's been not just a film actress, but she's also always come back to the stage. And I think that shows how much she really cares for the craft of everything and how um, she's, she's, as you say, she's not in it to impress people. She's just in it because she loves what she's doing. Yeah. And the thing, the reason why, another reason why she's so good is you bring up theater. When you're on stage, you have to be very expressive and loud because you can't really use your facial expressions like the way you can in movies because you aren't getting close-ups. There's no editing happening. But the fact that she's able to, I assume, pull that off really well on stage, but then do dramatic performances that rely on her facial expression some of the time and the way she's reacting to a situation, it shows that she has so much range and she's very talented and is really, as you said, one of the greats of our time. Yeah, definitely. I think this role wouldn't have been as effective if any, uh, I mean, I struggle to think of any other actress of Carrie's age at the time who could have played this role as well as she could. And I think that's a major reason why this film worked and why it was so beloved at the time is because of Mulligan. Yeah, I totally agree. Even in the scene where Alfred Molina's character is screaming at her and is firing angry, my eyes were still on Carrie because of the way she's handling it. And you just have, you, the director focuses on both of them and you're looking at how she's reacting to it. And that's super believable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like, as you like, Alfred Molina is an actor who tends to go loud. And I think part of why you watch her is because you're somehow used to his loudness. But I do think the cam whether, whenever the film's focusing on another character, it always, returns to Mulligan because she's the reaction that we as the audience are most of the time having to the characters. And I think that shows how effective the direction, writing, and even Mulligan is in really selling us on this character and really investing us in everything that happens to her. Yeah, 100%. She brings the story all together and keeps you interested throughout. I also really loved Rosamund Pike's performance I mean, she looks really gorgeous in it. And part of her performance is that she's eye grasping because of her beauty. But I do think she's very convincing as this friend and figure who's there to comfort her and sort of be with her as the female component while the men do a certain activity. And it shows the sexism of the time and the situation. And she's just starting to learn all about that because again, she hasn't really adventured into the real world. And you can see how she reacts to that. And you can see how she reacts to what Rosamund Pike's character is saying. Yeah, I think it's really fun um, seeing the two of them back together again um, after Pride and Prejudice. Obviously, they weren't um, as close in that film as this film, but I think Pike is really effective and it's it's such a complicated role to play because you can easily play it for large laughs throughout because it's a kind of um, dim-witted character maybe on the page, but I think Pike just adds so much elements to it that make you want to watch her and not just um, forget about her. And I think the two of them together 
it's it's a it's a strange um chemistry it's not it's it's more effective than i would have thought going in between the two characters but i think that's because pike and mulligan are just really good opposite one another yeah in terms of the strange chemistry because you see carrie and peter he's sort of adventuring her into adulthood and the relationship element of it and the betrayal element of it but rosamund pike is introducing her to the feminine aspects of it and the role that women are quote unquote supposed to play well that's something that peter skarsgård's character can't do with her so she's there as this other source that sort of helps her for a completely different reason yeah i mean i think even looking back on it past the later betrayal you kind of realize i think subtly pike as um her character is really trying to help mulligan because obviously she knows about the marriage and the fact that um mulligan doesn't i think she's subtly trying to show you how this character is trying to help her get through because she knows that soon enough it's going to end sort sort of tragically i guess mm -hmm. and she's trying to give her the best time that she can while it lasts and i thought that was a real beautiful mini arc and mini storyline that went on there so uh what was your favorite scene in the film if you had to choose um i think the scene that i that i constantly go back to is and um, the second of the three scenes between carrie and emma i just um when she when she announces the engagement and goes into her tutor i really just enjoy the back and forth between both of them i think just the way carrie delivers like the retort of hard and boring just has stayed in my mind all this time i really i don't i, I just find them so great together and thompson is, is an actor who can play really anything and having her just in these three scenes there's such different scenes together i mean the first one is you don't know anything the second scene is where carrie is is seemingly um above thompson and then obviously their last scene together is where carrie's slightly desperate but i think the second scene between them is just so powerful and really is a great peak for the film and i think that's the scene that i will all i've watched so many times separate from watching the entire feature and i think it's because carrie is just so in control in that scene and even though it is devastating to know that she soon won't be i think it's just such an effective scene between two actresses who are at the top of their game yeah, throughout these scenes that they have together, she goes from vulnerable to confident and powerful to desperate in, this, in a state of desperation. And it's really interesting to see how this is what her life was until this specific time. And, you know, Emma Thompson's character knows that. She knows how hard she works in school. And she knows that, you know, she shouldn't give up all of Oxford and all of her hard work and amazing grades just for a man who you know, and the end is going to betray her and secretly has a wife and kids that he doesn't tell her about. My favorite scene is kind of similar. It's the scene between Carrie and Olivia Williams when they're in the classroom and they're having sort of a similar discussion. And then towards the end, there's one where they help each other. But I thought that was a really beautiful, you know, teacher to student moment that shows that she has a connection to her school more so than them just being educators and them just being there for a part of her life. She takes them into consideration because she wants to succeed in this location. So she has to form a special connection with them and she 
the film showcases that really interestingly and in a warm light that doesn't feel awkward. They're clearly comfortable together and I dare say almost friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Olivia Williams as an actor is another just underrated actor who never, besides maybe something like the ghostwriter, never gets the role that really shows people, I mean, really has people talking how great she is. But I think, I think the scene, is the scene you're talking about the one where she gives her the present from Paris or? Well, the one that they're in the classroom together. I think it's, it might be that. It, it could be either that or the one before that. Okay. I think, yeah, I think, again, Carrie is just wonderful opposite every single actor in the film. And she has such a different type of chemistry with every single person in the film. And it, they're all so wonderful. Um, yeah, but I think I would agree that that's a really good scene as well. And I think if I was to pick, if I was to pick any other scenes opposite Carrie, I think Olivia is a really good scene partner opposite Carrie, that it almost makes me wish that they would have acted again together over the past decade. I really feel, especially with now what era Carrie is in now, I feel like you could get a completely different chemistry together if they were to come back together and work again. Yeah, they're both such talented, vulnerable actresses. So I'm excited to see if that does happen. Hopefully it does. I loved the moment that the end, one of the ending scenes where she does go to her house and she's like, you know what, I need help. And she's sort of giving up, you know, the man in her life that she's been focused on for a hot minute now. And that shows that, you know, she clearly does care about her school more than this sort of adventure to adulthood that isn't always benefiting her, even if it is fun some of the time. I like what you said about her being opposite to everyone and always being good, because when you're this age, relationships and meeting people is one of the most important things of your life. The people who you meet when you're young stick with you for the rest of your life. And she clearly has an important connection to like this specific group of people, whether they're at her school or at her home. And these people really matter to her. And the way that Carrie establishes that and Nick Hornby establishes that is really beautiful and subtle because that theme isn't presented necessarily, but it's cool to pick up on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So would you like to get into the questions or do you want to touch on the ending? Um, I think let's get into questions, maybe a couple of questions, if there are any, I don't know, actually. Yeah, some, so some of them are related to the Oscars, which we'll get into next. But someone asked, how do you think the title relates to the movie? Um, I think it's not just one education. I think it's talking about every single education she's going through, whether it's in school or in life. I think an education it's it's not just a singular education and I like that by just being an education it's not specifically talking about a certain part of the film and it's really showing how there's just so much going on that you might not realize in the film and I think that's what the title is referring to. So the way I thought of the title was that her life until she meets David is an education. She's been educated by her parents and her school and hasn't really faced anything out of that. It's an education in a literal sense, in a schooling sense. But then after she meets David and forms this relationship with him, she 
gets an education in an adult sense and what the real world is like outside of this town and outside of her school and outside of her homework. So whatever an education is to her in the moment is what the title is referring to. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds very much a, good, a very good explanation of the title and much, much better, much more clear and concise than I was trying to say, I think. <laughs> yes. Um, another question we got was, we kind of touched on this earlier, but someone said, how does this compare to other Carrie Mulligan roles? I mean, I think it's totally different. I think all of her roles are very separate from each other because she, the one that she has most similarly is playing in period dramas, but she also has this and wildlife and promising young woman. So she clearly has so much range as an actress and this really differs from anything else she's done. Yeah, I think, I mean, even when she's playing a character in a period piece, they're so different. I mean, if you look at something, how she plays in Pride and Prejudice versus how she plays in Far From the Madding Crowd, everything is just so different. And I think this role in comparison to every other role, just she's just such a great actress. So it's kind of, there are very few times where I would find her not effective. I mean, I think the only thing I'm slightly bored by in her career is something like The Great Gatsby, where it's not, it's a very challenging role to play because there's kind of, to me, there's not really anything there with Daisy to play. She's more of kind of a figure than a person. And so I think that's, she just, she's a very, she's a really good actress, obviously. And I think this role just shows, just shows the promise that she would enact on in the past decade that we've had of her. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, she's such a good range. I said that, you know, she's done multiple period piece performances and that's sort of the thing that, you know, collides most in her career. But even then, they're all so separate in terms of the character she's playing and the role she has in society in those films. So yeah, I'm very impressed with her always. And I totally agree about The Great Gatsby. That's probably the one time I haven't liked her in a film. I mean, it's not her fault. I think it has a horrendous script and it's just a mess of a film, but you know, she's just, it is a difficult role to play and she isn't given enough to do and it's kind of a mess. So yeah, not her fault. We can, we can forget about that in terms of her career. Just look at everything else she's done. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only person who's, who comes out successful in The Great Gatsby is Elizabeth Debicki. And that's because we didn't, I didn't, no one really knew who she was prior to that. And I think she, she's really great in that film for how little she's asked to play. So we don't, we don't need to think about that film other than the fact that The Great Gatsby allows Elizabeth Debicki to be tall, which is something that we don't get a lot. <laughs> and I enjoy when films allow their actors to be tall. <laughs> Yes. Uh, someone asked if you could replace Jenny with any other actress, who would it be? I mean, as, as I said earlier, there's not many who I could see playing the role. And I think the only actor who is of a similar age range to Carrie and who was popular at the time is someone like Juno Temple. I think Juno could believably play the pre-David scenes especially as a school. I mean, I'm surprised that Juno Temple wasn't cast as one of her friends um, in the movie, but I think she's the only actor who comes to mind. I mean, Saoirse Ronan was too, she was far too young at the time. I mean, yeah, she, was she was about like, three years. She was, she was around 16, but 
yeah but like not 16 in a movie yeah exactly um, <laughs> yeah so i think it's it's very juno's the only one who i can think of who was of the not too old an age to play the role at the time so i think there's not many who i could believably um imagine seeing in the role but who, who would you um consider in the role if yeah. you could? well i did think about kira knightley just because pride and prejudice but i don't know i feel like she's too formal and too old for the t- especially at the time, maybe younger, but I actually went back to the 60s and chose some people from that decade. So I considered Julie Christie because she's kind of reminded me of Julie Christie in some of her films. Um, do you know who Barbara Harris is? Yes. Yes. I, 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 she, remem- she kind of reminds me of Carrie Mulligan in the way that she expresses. I don't know if you've seen A Thousand Clowns. It's one of those rare yeah. best picture nominees of the 60s but she I don't know she she has this aura that's bright to her that reminded me kind of of carrying this I mean I, I again I had to go back to the 60s because she was super well cast I would not switch carry out for anyone but yeah those two those three kind of came to mind yeah I mean I didn't even think about I I didn't even think about going back to recast a person but those are such good suggestions I mean I would almost want to suggest either of the Redgrave sisters from that time. Like, I think I think <laughs> a combination of the two. I think Lynn could believably play the pre-David scenes, and then I think Vanessa would be so good in the post-David scenes, but I can't, especially during the 60s, when I think of, like, say, a Georgia girl version of um, Lynn Redgrave versus yeah. a I think I think if you can combine the two sisters, they could possibly play the role. But it's just, it's one of those. There's a reason why when someone's in a Star Is Born role, it's because no one else could play that role as well as they could. And, and that's they're introducing why, someone. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I think it's 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 Carrie's role, and I can't. Maybe who knows? Maybe in another universe, someone else played the role, and the other universe me would be saying, "Oh, only this person can play the role," but. As we have the film now, Carrie's like the only choice who I can see in it. Exactly. I totally agree with you on that. She was extremely well cast and beautifully performing throughout the movie. Someone else asked, do you think Rosamund Pike's performance is totally underrated? Yes, she is totally underrated. One of the more underrated performances from that year something that we'll get into in a bit, but should have probably made her way into that supporting actress lineup. Yeah, I mean, Rosamund Pike until Gone Girl was such an underrated actress. I mean, I would say prior to Gone Girl, her most known role was her debut in Die Another Day, where she's she's not that great as um, the villainess, but I think it's this is one of the roles that kind of led to Rosamund Pike's breakout, I well breakout, I guess kind of reestablishment in Gone Girl, and I think she, I think I don't know, she she wouldn't make my lineup, but I wouldn't say no to her against the nominees that they ended up choosing. I mean, I prefer her to a couple of the choices that would have made, but we will talk about that. <laughs> yes, uh, it reminds me of kind of how Carrie was because even after this movie and throughout the decade, Carrie was considered very underrated until Promising Young Woman came out, just like Rosamund Pike. A lot of people consider her very underrated 
until Gone Girl came out. So it kind of reminds me of the same thing. Whereas these two British actresses who are like given really great parts aren't completely recognized until they have a big, big role that everyone just falls in love. So yeah, Carrie Mulligan, outstanding in this film. Rosamund Pike, also outstanding in this film. Yeah, and, and, and Peter and Alfred and every single person of the cast, yeah. whether it's, I, I forget the actor who plays her friend with the kind of um, curly hair. I can't remember. I think it's something, she was very good, I thought, um, in her short scenes. I think it's just, it's just a really strong ensemble. And unless you're re-watching the film, I don't think you get that straight away because you would all, people will always think of this as just a Carrie Mulligan vehicle, but when you really watch it, there's so many wonderful actors at the sides who are just as strong as her. I'm not sure if this got a SAG Ensemble nomination or not, but it absolutely should have if it didn't, because everyone has a really good role in it and no one's character feels useless or underutilized. Everyone is in it the right amount and everyone is doing exactly what they should be doing. Absolutely. I mean, even someone like Sally Hawkins, who has just one scene. Mm, is... What she represents is pretty powerful because, you know, you know of her existence for a lot of it, but she's in it for under a minute, I believe. And just the line delivery of her saying, you stay here because she wants to get into the conversation. But Carrie Mulligan's character, Jenny, she's just, you know, emotionally fed up and devastated. So you really get to see this quick but powerful interaction. Yeah, I mean, I think even Sally's scene kind of gives way to a thought that this wasn't the first time that this happened, which mm. is kind of shot, which is shows how great Lone, uh, the director, is over the ensemble, that she manages to give a backstory that you would have, you wouldn't have thought of until you had that one scene with the wife. Yeah, and the kid there makes it more emotionally resonating, so... He has a family and he's done this more times, but I guess Sally Hawkins' character sort of sticks with him. Yeah, I think she's very much um, just another example of what a woman's life could be during this period in time. And I think having that scene really kind of pushes Carrie, uh, Jenny's character, to pursue her education, her school education rather than her adult education. And I think that scene is, it's so short, but it's just another great scene in the movie. Yeah, it's her tipping point. She doesn't want to end up like that. And Sally Hawkins doesn't want her to end up like that either, even though she's stuck in that situation. Absolutely. So yeah, the rest of the, a lot of the questions are saying like, why didn't Alfred Molina get nominated? And, you know, do you think Carrie was second place in terms of best actress or, Someone else asked, do you think this movie would have gotten in if it had been five nominees for Best Picture? So we'll answer these in this Oscar section. So this film got three nominations and the first will say Best Adapted Screenplay. Alongside it, nominated was District 9, In the Loop, and Up in the Air, and Precious One. So what are your thoughts on this category? Oh, I forgot to ask. Why do you think this film failed to win any Oscars outside of the fact that there was tough competition? Um, I just, I think, sadly, because it was about centered around the female experience, that's why it, it suffered 
um, not getting any wins. And I hate saying that because most of my favorite movies are about the female experience. But I just think, especially during this year, when you see a woman finally awarded in Best Director, it's because she told a story from the male perspective. So I think that, I mean, even nowadays, they're still warming to just wanting to award films about men. But I think that's possibly, that's a reason why. And also because it's very, it's a very small film and it had a very low amount of nominations. And especially in a year where you have big juggernauts like Avatar and District 9 and Inglorious Bastards, it just, for some people looks too small in scale to ever be considered a winner. Mm. Yeah, I happen to agree. Because even though Precious is a female-dominated cast, it doesn't talk about the female experience as much as it talks about racial experiences and living in a poor community and having mental instabilities. Whereas in education, it's much more about feminism and femininity. And yeah, it had a low amount of nominations. It didn't, it made money at the box office considering its budget, but Precious made a lot more and a lot of other movies that won it these awards made a lot more money and were just generally more popular. So that was definitely a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah, so alongside an education, District 9 in the loop, up in the air, and Precious 1. So would you have given an education the win here or would you have given it to something else? Um, I think the right film won in adapted screenplay, but it's, it's very close for me between um, precious in an education. I think an education would be um, my runner-up in that category and maybe something like In the Loop would be a third um, in, the in the films they nominate but I think Precious is such a great screenplay and I almost I want to keep the win simply because of the historical precedency of it with Jeffrey Fletcher winning. I think he was the first um, black screenwriter to win the category. I could I could be wrong on that, but I feel like knowing You're the right. history of the I feel like knowing the history of the Academy Awards effort to take eighty two years for a black writer to win adapted screenplay seems possible, and that's why I think I'm happy that that surprise win because it was a surprise win at the time. Yeah, up in the, the air open... was the front runner. Yeah, yeah, but I thankfully, think... I agree with you. Um, well, I would have given the, an education the win here. It is my favorite. I do need to rewatch Precious. I think I saw it last in 2018 or 19. But I like it more than a lot of people do. I think, you know, the directing of Precious is where the flaws are held, but the acting and the writing, especially the acting, are very well done. But yeah, an education here takes the cake for me. It's simple, but it has a lot of great details that are easy to pick up on, and its characters are written very well, especially for the performers. I do really like Up in the Air as a script as well, but again, I don't think it's as memorable as an education. And I, have, I haven't seen In the Loop yet, so I wouldn't be able to say. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's very close for me between education and Precious. Like I, I wouldn't have been upset for an education to win. I think I'm, I'm very glad that Up in the Air didn't win. It's a film that, I don't know, like now a decade removed from it and having seen Jason's following films in collaboration with Diablo Cody, I think he's just never as good as he is when he, unless he's working with Diablo Cody. And I think 
I'm ha very happy <laughs> that he turned he uh, tornadoed it or he really sunk his own campaign by um not wanting to share credit with his co-writer and I think that's a reason why he didn't win so I guess I'm slightly happy that that happened just because it's not on the very on the on the cover of the film it looks very like whippy and cool and quick and all that sort of stuff but like when you watch it it's just nothing really happens at least of interest for me so I'm I'm happy that it didn't win yeah I would agree. I think Precious is a better choice than Up in the Air. I do think Up in the Air is pretty good, but it's not memorable at all. It's not a film that people talk about anymore. And I agree that Jason Reitman's films with Diablo Cody, like Juno and I believe Young Adult are much better in terms of their writing and even acting. So I would agree with there, but I mean, education takes my win in this category. And then moving on to Best Actress, we have Sandra Bullock for The Blind Side, your winner, and alongside Carrie, your nominees are Helen Mirren for The Last Station, Gabourey Sidibe for Precious, and Meryl Streep for Julie and Julia. So would you have given Carrie the win here, or would you stick with Sandra, or would you give it to someone else? Um, I, I would not stick with Sandra. I know, very, very shocking answer. Um, <laughs> I, I think, again, it comes down to uh, Precious and an education, but I think Gabourey is just so incredible in Precious. Had any other actor other than Gabourey Sidibe delivered this performance, they would have won. I mean, it's such a titanic performance. Like, looking back it's always going to be she should have won she's so amazing i mean carrie is amazing too but something about gabourey is so singular it's so once in a generation that i wish she had won so bad it would it would have saved us a lot of complaining i think to have yeah. a gabourey sidibe win it's such a great performance and i wish she had won mm. Yeah, I mean, I might stick with Carrie, but if I could tie them, I would. It is very, very close. It's not like one is soaring above the other. It's not like, it's very easy for me to decide. They're both spectacular for completely different reasons too. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You're leaning more towards Precious on both of these wins. I'm leaning more towards an education, but it is very close. Um, I actually don't hate Sandra Bullock's win like most people do, but again, knowing the film's story and the altering and that it lacks significance and the more the, these other performances from caring cabaret that are much deeper and provide much more difficult emotional responses you, you do wish that she didn't take home the oscar but again i'm not a hater of it i'm not actively complaining about it like a lot of people are yeah i mean i, I i'm not actively complaining about it. i just choose to forget that it happened um but i think i think what leans me towards gabaret is just an actress like carrie will win or be back someday mm. whereas unfortunately a gabaret won't be given a role ha i mean hasn't been given a role as wonderful as precious since i mean i've enjoyed her in things like the big c or even slightly in american horror story but Precious is just 
something that comes once in a generation, unfortunately. And I think that's what also leans me towards Gabourey in this category. Yeah, outside of the fact that she does give this tour de force, emotionally wrecking performance, it isn't something that she's going to be given the opportunity to again. Well, whereas Carrie Mulligan, I mean, she's kind of everywhere now. She's on everyone's radars, especially after Promising a Woman. And I think that she's going to win an Oscar someday, whereas Gabourey, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So you do have a very good point there. And if she won, Gabourey would be very high on my best actress ranking. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love Carrie as well. And I would want to give a tie as well they're just so wonderful and so I mean Meryl's good as well but Meryl has been great before so her not winning for this I'm not too upset about really. No I think she was better the year prior in doubt. I also think someone asked was Carrie the runner-up? I think it can be confusing between whether Meryl or Carrie was the runner-up but basing the fact that Julie and Julia was the only nomination for its film and Carrie had just come off of a BAFTA win, even though Sandra Bullock was not nominated there. I think Carrie was the runner up. I, I, I'm trying to like see where this would have gone. I think she was a runner up, but I just think Sandra Bullock was kind of unbeatable at the time. But yeah, I'd say Carrie was the runner up and then Meryl was probably third. Yeah, I mean, I think just the story of Sandra Bullock this year especially with her other two films and um, really kind of put her out in front i mean she had the box i mean blind the blind side was such a box office success and so is the proposal i mean she also had all about steve but that kind of added a bit of funness to her yeah she won the she, Razzie and she gave a, a hilarious speech and then that was like the day or two before the oscars so people recognized that as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I would say Meryl was the runner-up, um, but um, it just wasn't close at the time. I mean, Sandra was everywhere, and Sandra had been such a box office success for over a decade with something with films like Speed and Miss Congeniality that it just kind of came at the right moment to enter in her career where they wanted to award the movie star who would who was seen as delivering something like she'd never done before. So I think that's what kind of put her so far. I mean, it's such a weird moment that she hadn't been taken seriously until the televised awards began and she first tied with Meryl and they had that infamous kiss with one another. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, was, that was iconic. It, it, it very much was. And I think that's kind of what helped the momentum go is that Sandra just really knew how to play the game. She knew how beloved she was and how this might never happen for her again. So I think she really took, I, I, if I were to see the votes, I think it would almost be a landslide, even though there are so many, there are, are a couple of more worthy contenders in the list, but I think Sandra was so far in advance. Yeah. I see what you're saying also about Meryl being second because she had just come off of um, losing for Doubt, where she was kind of expected to win. And she hadn't won an Oscar since Sophie's Choice. So part of it was that she hadn't won in a while, but then they'd give it to her for a much worse performance two years later. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I just think Carrie was the runner just because an education did get into screenplay and picture and she, the BAFTAs just happened and they're usually the most reliable precursor. But 
again, Sandra Bullock won by a lot. This was very expected to happen. There was no way anyone was going to beat her. So if anyone thought this was a surprise, then they're lying to themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And then moving on to Best Picture, along the winner was The Hurt Locker. And alongside an education, you have Avatar, The Blindside, District 9, Inglorious Bastards, Precious, A Serious Man, Up and Up in the Air. So would you give an education the Best Picture Award or would you stick with The Hurt Locker or something else? Again, I mean, looking at my top 10 from that year, Precious is, is above all of the films in this list. Like, it's kind of shocking to think that that would be my winner just because I don't think of it because it, it's not in my top five personally of the year but it's so wonderful so I think again I have to go with Precious it's like false and all I really love that film I mean I would I it's not rewatchable because it's such a dramatic story but when you watch it like you can't help but think of it as excellent I don't I mean I don't care if Lee Daniels never makes a good film ever again, he would all he would always have made Precious, whether it was a stroke of luck that he managed to make this great movie. I'll just always be grateful that he managed to put out one good movie with mm. Precious. Yeah, uh, I don't think I would give it to an education either, but I don't like The Hurt Locker. I know a lot of people really liked it, but it wasn't for me. I think an education I would prefer over that, but my two favorites here are Up and Inglorious Bastards, just because I guess I've familiarized myself with them more. I've seen them a lot more times. I'd say, I guess an education is third and Precious is fourth, but I really do love an education and if it would have won, never would have happened. Very odd choice. And considering the competition, it was probably like lower on this scale it would have been interesting and i think it would have been deserved but again it had to take down avatar and the hurt locker which very very rare so yeah i wouldn't personally give it best picture but i would give it the other two awards that it was nominated for yeah i mean i would love to give it the two other awards that it was nominated for but i just think today I go Precious. <laughs> Shockingly enough, Precious is the film that I would want to award more. I, I don't know why I'm laughing because it's a wonderful film and I love it. But I think just it's not seen by a lot of people as truly great besides the acting. Monique, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the acting gets praised much more than the film, but I think it's deserving of praise outside of just the performances. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I like it more than a lot of people do. And I think it would have been a very interesting and important winner, especially of Best Actress. Um, relating back to the question someone asked if, if it would have gotten in if there were five nominees, I don't think so. I think in education was six or seven. I think all the nominees for Best Director were the nominees if there were five. The Hurt Locker, Avatar, and Glorious Bastards, Precious, and Up in the Air. Those seemed like a pretty secure group. I don't think an education would have squeezed in. Yeah, I think this is one of those rare, if it were a top five, it would have been one of those rare years where director and picture lined up completely, which is unfortunate because I always want there to be more films 
mentioned. Like I enjoy when there's a, when the nomination count is spread out through many films because it makes it better for history and gives a lot more people more films to watch rather than say t- two years ago where there were three films with 10 plus nominations. It's just like, you saw more than three films, I hope, because if you haven't, then why are you voting? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You like them to spread the wealth and spread the love around. Whereas, Absolutely. yeah, I agree with you. I, I'd rather have, honestly, I'd rather see a year where each Best Picture nominee only gets two nominations and you have a lot, or like two or three nominations, because then you have more room for non-Best Picture nominees to get into bigger categories and it's just a lot more interesting. So I totally yeah. agree with you there. I think, you know, you, you wish, an Education got a nice little package of nominations, but you kind of wish that other films would do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it only got three nominations is slightly surprising to me just because there are such good elements of the film. I mean, the fact that the costume design didn't, the costume didn't get nominated will always kind of shock me just because there's such good costume design in the film. And when I look at the films that were nominated, I mean, Coco before Chanel, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. I mean, who thinks about those films anymore? Bright Star. Like, oh, no, I, I love Bright Star. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I've never heard of Coco before Chanel, oh. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus and Bright Star. And I've barely oh. heard of the young Victoria. So Oh, you have you have to watch Bright Star before Power of the Dog comes out. It Bright Star, it's the Jane Campion movie from this year. Mm, so yeah. you you must watch it. I mean, it has Abby Cornish, who, you know, who, who is she? Um, she's really, I think I would highly recommend you watch it. I mean, that's yeah. a film that I think deserved more than just this costume design nomination. But I think the fact that they obviously love period in costume and that an education which got the best picture nomination couldn't get in above all these other films just shows how kind of closed off the category is. I mean, the fact that you have Sandy Powell and Colleen Atwood and Janet Patterson who've been nominated before. And I think the costume designer from an education had been nominated before. So I think it would have made a a very lovely nomination to happen, but unfortunately it just didn't get in. Yeah, the costumes are much more contemporary and not showy um, compared to what I know of these films. These are all much more flashy and obvious when it comes to costume design, but I really think they should take into consideration the lesser known and more laid back versions of the hard work that these filmmakers are putting into it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also editing. I think the editing in this film is very smooth and consistent. I may have even put it in for director, even though I think there are times where the atmosphere is captured more than others. It certainly, is a very like well-directed movie. I think Lone did a better job than, I don't know, Jason Reitman. So I guess, I don't know. I, I would have given it a few more nominations, but again, it's not this technical marvel that deserves like all the sound and all the like visual effects. And it doesn't really belong in those categories, but it's a really nice little movie that I would say is kind of amazing. I I gave it a very high rating. I enjoyed it a lot on rewatch. I don't think it's a masterpiece or anything of that realm, but it's nice and it has a lot to discuss and 
diverge into with its themes and its characters and its acting, which I think is all around really well done. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't nominate Lone from the films overall that year, but I do think she would have made a much more exciting nominee than a Jason Reitman. Um, and the fact, I mean, if you look back in the 60s and you see Darling from 1965, which is a very similar movie. Well, not very similar, but kind of about a young British girl, obviously um, different characters. But the fact that the director from that was nominated and the mm. fact that the that movie won it, screenplay and actress. So, yeah, absolutely. But I think the fact that Lone was never considered for best director kind of shows how I think that year they were thinking that, oh, we have Catherine. It's fine. We have one. <laughs> we don't have to look further. I mean, thankfully now, 10 yeah, plus now years later. Can, we, we can nominate two, finally. But I know. <laughs> yeah, but I think, yeah, I think she would have, I would have liked to see her nominated because it would have given her a much larger boost in her career. I mean, she hasn't made many films that people have loved since. I mean, I really love Their Finest from Seven Years Later and with Gemma Arterton and I think Bill Nighy. I think that's a really fun film that not a lot of people have seen, but I think had she got nominated this year, maybe she would have gotten more opportunities. Yeah, it would be very inspired and very deserved. So yeah, overall, I love the movie. I'm pretty sure you love the movie, even though you wouldn't give it anything. It's very close for you in all these categories. I would have given it two awards out of the three, but I totally get why it didn't win anything aside from the competition being stiff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I would, I would, it's, as I said, it's very close to me wanting to give it the two prizes aside from best picture, but I think Precious, for me, Precious is just the movie. Thank, thankfully that did win um, awards separate because that that could have easily been a film that would have joined an education as a film that didn't win anything but thankfully it did win very big prizes on the night yeah i totally agree so any any final remarks on the oscars or on an education yeah i think if if people haven't seen an education i think they really should especially those who maybe weren't familiar with Carrie Mulligan before something like Promising Young Woman, because obviously Promising Young Woman is such a different performance. I mean, it's it's kind of insane that this is the same actress to different yeah. both of these performances. So I think people really should go back and watch an education because it really shows you this is why people have been talking about her for the past decade, whether it's in something like Shame or Wildlife or Mudbound, or just any of the films that she made. Even something like Suffragette, which, which is probably the closest she ever came to making something purely to be considered for awards. That That's my feeling anyway about that film. Yeah. But I think people really should check this film out. And what's good about it is it's a great film. It's also a very short film. Yes, so you're not, I like you're that. Not, I do too. When I saw that it was like 95 minutes, I was so happy because sometimes- You can do it in I, one sitting. Absolutely. Because I've been watching, I mean, I've been watching a lot of movies from the 60s and seeing that the like nearly three hours long kind of really turns me off because 
the fact that you can tell such a big, I mean, not a big story, but so much story in such a regular running time shows how not movies don't need to be three hour long epics. I mean, obviously we can have three hour long epics, but like really use your time well. And I think an education is a good example of really using all every moment of the film to tell an impactful story. Yeah, really good on the pacing element. And I like that, you know, you can see her in this film. I saw an education before I watched Promising Young Woman. So, you know, I had already been familiar with her talent and wildlife. So uh, she really goes from like adorable and precious in these movies to gorgeous and kind of sexy and promising young woman. And, you know, when she went on the red carpet and all that. So you really see how she developed, but she's always stunning. I really always loved her as a performer and as a person. She just seems very nice and very, you know, informed with what's going on and she can act beautifully. So I've always loved her. Yeah, definitely. I think if anyone really wants to understand Carrie Mulligan, just like watch her major films from this past decade. I mean, even something like Inside Lewin Davis, which is such a small role in, but it, it really goes in favor of showing how varied she can be. I mean, the character in Inside Lewin Davis is such a wild role and something you wouldn't expect from the actor who played Jenny in this film. But the fact that she's so great in both of them just really shows her range and how underrated she's been for the past decade by mainstream audiences. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with her. Watch more Carrie Mulligan films than Promising Young Woman, even if that's my favorite of hers, just go out and seek whatever you can of hers because she's always going to impress you, aside from The Great Gatsby, but that's another story. <laughs> so yeah, uh, <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Where can people find you? What what platforms? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter just posting about films all the time. I'm also on Letterboxd. And um, my Twitter is at owndaily, uh, E-O-I-N-D-A-I-L-Y. And then I also have my Letterboxd link there. So I'm constantly just discovering new movies, rediscovering films that I've watched before. And um, yeah, so those are the main places where you can find me. I'm not the most social media. <laughs> um, all over the place person but I do enjoy talking about films and thank you for having me today and um, yeah, it's really fun of course. talking yeah. about this such a great film that I wouldn't other than this venue you wouldn't necessarily have such an in-depth conversation about yeah 100% I'm glad you enjoyed your time um I am on twitter at sam the parasite and letterbox sam Meltzer please review and rate this podcast on whatever podcast service you use. And thank you for listening if you made it all the way here.